Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. We're going to look today at the Gospel of St. John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. And this is where Jesus is beginning now to prepare his disciples for the fact that he's not going to be with them for the long haul. He's, he's, he's going, to, uh, he, he's going to, to move on now. But he's going to explain to them and kind of try to help them to understand and to grasp how this basically is for their benefit and for the benefit of all those to whom they will be sent. And so he says to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God still and trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. If there were not, I should have told you. I am going now to prepare a place for you. And after I have gone and prepared you a place, I shall return to take you with me so that where I am, you too may be. You know the way to the place where I am going. Okay, so he says that he's going to leave, but he's going to prepare a place for them. Now, one of the common interpretations of that, you know, is to my, in my father's house, and, and, my, and there are many, you know, there are many rooms in my father's house. There are many mansions in heaven and so forth. And we say, well, that just means it's a big umbrella. And then no, doesn't matter kind of what you believe or how you live your life. There's a place for everybody. And I think that that's a very common contemporary interpretation, but it's a very false interpretation. For he's not referring to rooms in his father's house. He's referring to those who, he is, who are going to become the rooms in his father's house, who are going to become the places within, his, the, within the body of Christ that creates the church into which all people are called, all people are drawn, and all people have access. But it, lim it eliminates that, that false notion that somehow or other this line means everybody goes to heaven. Um, it's not what it means. It means that he is preparing his disciples to provide a place for everyone to come in order that they might get to heaven. And so basically it is beginning of the image of the church as the body of Christ, the beginning of the image of the church as the gathering of the disciples. And certainly in the Second Vatican Council, what comes out of this is the people of God, <clears throat> who are the rooms in the Father's house, the places in the Father's house that are doorways for others to enter. And so it is an evangelical text, actually, and one that is filled with promise and one that is filled also with a sense of mission. So he said, I shall return to take you with me. In other words, when, when you have been prepared to become the, those places within the kingdom of God through which others may enter the kingdom of God, when, when that basically, when you have fulfilled your mission, then you will be one with Jesus, one with the Father, one in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, you know the, to, the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, again, speaks that, so we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And this means for us, and, and this is a, <clears throat> I don't know, 
this is something that we need to reflect on, we need to pray over in, in our own personal lives. Because basically, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then it is in our relationship with Jesus Christ, insofar as we are in Christ, that we can come to the Father, for no one can come to the Father except through me, Jesus says. And if you know me, you know my Father too. From this moment you know him and you have seen him. Once again, in John's Gospel, this idea of the Trinitarian idea is very powerful. If you know me, you know the Father. And if you know, um, and if you, uh, from this moment on, you know them because I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can go to the Father except through me. This is a powerful statement, very honestly, because people try to go to the Father in so many ways. They try to go to the Father by, by themselves seeking an absolute, because that's what the Father is. He is the absolute. And people try to seek the absolute. They try to seek it in so many ways. And in every time they attempt that, in every time they try to do that, <clears throat> they end up ultimately disappointed. They end up ultimately um, unable to get where they're going. We see, this in the, we see this in this frantic desire within society for people to liberate themselves, to get beyond themselves, to get out of themselves. You know, it started with the sexual revolution. If only we could have all the sex we wanted, then we would be free. Only to discover that that led to a form of enslavement, actually, an enslavement to the flesh, and an enslavement that, that eventually, that eventually destroyed the whole, the whole awe and the wonder of sexuality and let it become simply a series of passing pleasures. Um, <clears throat> we, we saw it also at the same, at the same time in the drug culture. Um, you know, um, you know, what was, what was uh, Timothy Leary and his LSD mantra from, from Harvard University, tune out, turn on, and trip out, you know? It was somehow or other you can, with LSD, you can, you can somehow or other, you know, reach the infinite, somehow or other reach far beyond anything that you would hold you bound in this world, etc., etc., only to find that you woke up feeling very bad from the experience and you were right back where you started from. And it's the same way, you know, I mean, heavy metal music was the same thing. Let's, let's just get into a frenzy. And in that frenzy, be transported out of the ordinary, out of ourselves. And yet, <clears throat> eventually the music stops. And when the music stops, here we are again, back where we started. It is kind of the chronic... Uh, driving force within humanity is to want to become more than what they are. It impels mountain climbers, skydivers, explorers, all of the, all of the daredevil things that we do. Um, what it's, it's getting away from the ordinary, getting to have that experience of the vastness, of the greatness of the created world. There's nothing, you know, hardly anything more exhilarating than after the strain and the struggle of climbing a high mountain to be on top of it and feel somehow or other that, you know, you have reached the top of the world and you can see, you know, for forever. Um, and yet, you have to come down again. And when you do, there you are again. And so when Jesus says then 
that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can go to the absolute. No one can have that experience of absolute freedom, that knowledge of the absolute, without going through the sun. For the sun is a font of all human knowledge. The sun is a source of all human knowledge. And so we can be incredible scientists, and we can be great literatures, and we can be, um, you know, we can be all sorts of things and all sorts of people. And yet at the same time, at the same time, we can't really get where we're going with any of it if, in fact, we don't go through the sun. Which is why in the realms of higher science, not, you know, high school chemistry or something or, or you know, college physics or whatever, but in the higher sciences, there's always a suspicion at least of the existence of a consciousness, of the existence of something greater than themselves. If they can come to faith, and if they can come through Jesus Christ, they will discover what it is that they're seeking. But they can catch glimpses of it from afar. And that's what our higher scientific world is all about, catching glimpses from afar of the Father, but being unable to arrive at him because they are not going through their son, Jesus Christ, through his son, Jesus Christ. So no one can come to the absolute except through me. No one can come to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you know my Father also. So if, if, you, if you know Jesus Christ, if you really know Jesus Christ, if you are part of Jesus Christ's life, if this is something you know that is, that is part of who you are, then you will have this intuition of the Father. Then you will have this great sense of the Father. And in this great sense of the Father, you will come to know and to understand that within ourselves there is a restlessness, but there is also an anticipation of fulfillment that is not temporary, that is not fleeting, but is in fact something that will last in us forever. So Jesus said, from this moment you know him and you have seen him because you have known and seen me. This is why this relationship with Jesus Christ is so incredibly important. He's not just an abstract figure, or he's, he's not just some kind of a sentimental imagination. That to know him personally, then, is, is to know and to see, in a sense, from afar, the Father, but know exactly what it is that we are seeking. And Philip said to him, Lord, let us see the Father, then, and we shall be satisfied. And Jesus says, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And Jesus said to him, and you still don't know who? You still don't know me? In other words, it's possible to have a great familiarity with Jesus without really knowing him. I like to put it maybe in, in terms of, you know, the, uh, the difference between loving someone and being a fan of someone. Um, to love them, you must actually know them. To be a fan, you simply can admire them. And so <clears throat> then Jesus goes on to say, to have seen me is to have seen the Father. Once again, this Trinitarian proclamation in John's Gospel. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak as from myself. It is the Father living in me who is doing my work. You must believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Believe in it on the evidence of his work 
if for no other reason. In other words, if you can't believe that the Father and I are one, if you can't believe that what I do, the Father does, what I say is what the Father says, if, I, if all of that, then, then at least believe the consequences. Believe in John's Gospel here especially. Believe the Book of Signs. Believe <clears throat> all of the things that Jesus has done, the raising from the dead, the healing of the blind, the curing of the lame, and so forth. All of that. You know, if, if you don't, and, and this was the problem, this was the problem with the Pharisees. They had the opportunity to see all that, and they refused to believe. And, um, <clears throat> and they refused to believe because they saw the consequences of the fulfillment of the promise to Israel as a personal threat to their, to their status, their personal way of life, their personal positions within Jerusalem, within the Hebrew community, and within a relationship with the Roman governors. And so then he says, I tell you most solemnly, whoever believes in me will perform the same works as I do myself. He will perform even greater works because I am going to the Father. Now he's talking now in terms of who the disciples are and therefore in terms ultimately of what the church is going to do. Jesus is constrained in his humanity and time and place. He's, he, he doesn't get outside the, the area of Israel. But the church is to go to all the earth, everywhere in the earth. There is nowhere where there is not a presence of the church. Even, even in Antarctica, there, there have been... Um, there, there have been masses and, and priests who have gone there. Um, Father Birkenauer, a, a Cleveland Jesuit, a Detroit Jesuit, spent many, many years as a seismologist in Antarctica and, and said daily mass there. So even, even in such a remote and isolated place, the church has been present and the church is from time to time present again. So that what happens is, isn't this a much vaster arena than, than simply to be in the country of Israel? Isn't it something spectacular then to think that we are everywhere? And uh, I think it's interesting that it was always fascinating to me that they have, archaeologists have discovered ruins of Franciscan churches in Mongolia from the 13th century. Um, amazing. Amazing what the church has done, where she has been, um, how she has left for others. Sometimes, sometimes a disillusionment with the institution, but always an opportunity for a belief in the Lord. And so she has done that throughout the whole world. Will perform the same works I do, and perform even greater works, greater in their extent. And yet, this is the whole thing too. You know, will perform the works that I do. Does the church perform the works that we that that the Lord does? Well, you know, we have to have miracles to canonate saints. Is this through the individual personal power of the saint? Or is this the Lord still working through them? We still have the fact of cures at Fatima and at Lourdes. Is this true? Is this something that's real? Um, yeah, it is. And where does it come from? It comes through the church. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. And so it is the works of the Lord continuing and in their extensiveness, even, even for us and more locally. Um, the, the evidence of the healings that have taken place at Cary, um, at the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation, 
Um, and certainly, I think probably many of us have seen in some way, shape, or form miraculous healings or miraculous changes of life or miraculous curing of, of uh, even emotional ties and so forth. Is this not then the work of the Lord? Is this not carrying on what Jesus has done? And isn't this care being carried on through saints, through the Blessed Mother, through the direct intervention of the Lord, isn't it exactly that what Jesus did in the New Testament is con is continuing and has continued throughout throughout the ages? Has the healing ministry of the church in some way waned so that it is no longer effective? I don't think so. I think that we still have that. And I think in still having that, it is perfectly proof to us that we are in the Lord and the Lord is in us. The church is in the Lord. The Lord is the church. And the church continues the mission through its saints to all places in the world and at all times in the world. So yes, so that we'll perform the same works as I do myself and perform them even greater works even more extensive. It's going to go far beyond the Middle East. It's going to go everywhere. And the power of the presence of the Lord. Of all the blind people in Israel, did Jesus cure them all? No, but the ones he cured were the ones that were witnesses to his divinity, the ones that provided the disciples with the proof positive that Jesus was the Son of God. And that same thing is going to go on. They're not there just for humane reasons. We don't have these healings just to be humane. We have these healings because through them, people come to believe. There are moments of revelation. There are moments of the revelation of the Lord to his people. And so even in, even in the Gospels, that's exactly what the miracles are. Some people say, well, this is just, no, see how, see how much, how merciful the Lord was. See how, you know, how much he had pity on people and so forth. No, see how much he wanted them to believe. See how much he wanted them to be one with him. See how much he wanted them to enter into the kingdom of heaven. See how much he wanted them to be one of the rooms in his father's home. See all of that in the miracles that he, that he performed in the Gospels. And then you will begin to see what the miracles are for here in our day, in our age. And you will come to see them more clearly and know of them more distinctly because they are all around us all the time. So when we do this then, then it takes us back. And let's go back to I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just an amazing statement because, you know, this idea, if he is the way, well, certainly we follow him. If he is the truth, then certainly we believe him. If he is the life, then certainly we share that with him. We enter into him. I think that there's too much of a sense, somehow or other, that we get confused about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the external form. But what does it mean to be a disciple internally? Does it mean that we, we kind of use him um, <clears throat> as, as kind of a wishing well? Do we, do we kind of, you know, just hang on when, when we're in trouble? Or is there some kind of way in our life that through our prayer we begin to realize that his body and his blood is within us, that we are within him,
and that it is through the sacrament of the Eucharist that this sharing of the life with the Lord is brought to its fulfillment and its completion. We too often, you know, and, and we see this, we see the casualness sometimes with which people receive the Eucharist. We see it as kind of sometimes, sadly, as some kind of a social convention that we do. Offended at times, well, gee, you know, why can't everybody receive communion after all? You know, that's what we do. Without realizing and understanding that this is an encounter with the divine, a personal encounter with the divine. It takes place in the context and only in the context of the church, for the church is what provides the body and blood of the Lord. It provides it through the priesthood. And so the priesthood is not just some kind of a community organizer or some kind of social work or, or, or some kind. It is what provides the avenue for us to become one in the life of Christ. It is that which provides the opportunity for us to be interiorly united with Jesus Christ. And in so doing, began the way into eternal life. For this is eternal life that we are one in Jesus Christ and therefore one with the Father and the Spirit for all eternity. That we are taken up into the wonder, the grandeur, and the glory of the divine. And we go step by step in this life, primarily, primarily through the Eucharist, but contingent upon a relationship with all of the sacraments. And so basically, when, when we, when we uh, attend Mass, and, and I know that you know, we, we went through that period of time where, where we became, and, and I don't say this in a derogatory sort of way, but where we became in our mindsets, basically, Protestants who, who worship for inspiration and, uh, and out of gratitude to the Lord. But when we do so, we do so only as prayer. And we do so only as directed toward him. And we do so that it culminates in us becoming part of his body and part of his blood and he part of ours. St. Um, Elizabeth of the Trinity, and I've quoted her before because I think that, that she has a tremendous and important insight into this. When she has, is, is writing to her sister's brother-in-law, a priest, and she says to him, you know, isn't the Eucharist basically, isn't it a taste of heaven? Isn't it what it's going to be? That moment is what all eternity is going to be, that moment of union with Jesus Christ. So that here in this gospel, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, follow me, listen to me, be in me, be with me, join with me. That's why, for instance, the sacrament of marriage is so protected, both in the Old Testament and the New. It's so because we know then what it means to give up enough of ourselves for the sake of the other that we become a part of who they are and they become a part of who we are. It is basically a prefiguration. It is of, of that kind of union which is going to be our eternity and our salvation. It is a human step with divine implications to it that is to lead us deeper into the mystery of Jesus Christ. And any husband and wife who knows what it means to become part of the other person in every way has some kind of therefore predisposition to a deeper faith in the Eucharist because that deeper faith in the Eucharist is a union of two persons. It is a union of ourselves and of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, body and blood, soul and divinity. So that 
we enter into this text, and I don't know if we want to call it into a, into a mystical text, but what we do want to say about it is this, is that it provides for us an image of the whole Christian life. And listen once again what it does. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You're going to miss me for a while. And, uh, but you are going to become part of my Father's house. You're going to become part of my Father's house, which is Father's house in this world, of course, is the church. And so, um, and I, I think, it's, I, I think it's, it's fascinating that in the Church of St. Charles in the city of Vienna, that, uh, that over, over the tabernacle and the crucifix is, is the great triangle with the tetragrammaton on it, the name of God on it that everything ultimately um, is, is recapitulated in Christ who is one with the Father, as John's Gospel makes. In other words, it is our destiny. And so he says, and so don't worry about it. There's going to be a journey. You're going to be on the way. In that way, you're going to gradually come into a deeper fulfillment of your union with me, your understanding of me. And then as human beings, we say, well, how, how can this be? We, we don't know all this. And Jesus says, yes, yeah, yes, you do. Because you, in a sense, know me. You know me through my works. You know me through my proclamation. You know me through, through the testimony of those who have experienced me. You do know me. And if you know me, then you are not strangers to the Father, because the Father and I are one. You know something of the Father. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because we're one. This is a Trinitarian reality. Um, and then he says to them in a way, he said, don't, don't you believe that I, that I'm the Trinity? Don't you believe that I, the Father is in me and I in him? Don't you believe that? I don't do anything on my own. I do only everything with him. And so what I say is what he says. What I do is what he does. And then if you have trouble believing in the word, if you have trouble believing in the Trinity, that's fine. But then look what we do. Do you think, do you think, don't look what we don't do, because that's projecting onto us what you want and how you think. But, but concentrate on what we do do, so that you are able to know the intensity and the interiority of this tremendous relationship that you have with me, and therefore with the Father. And so, because he says, because I am in the Father and the Father is in me, and this is evidenced in the work, believe at least in that much on your journey into the depths of myself as a human person. Believe at, last that, at least that much. For I tell you most solemnly, he said, whoever believes in me will perform the same works as I do myself. Whoever believes in me will do the work of the Lord. How is the work of the Lord done? We've already looked at that. It's done through the church. It's done through the saints. And he will perform even greater works. The church will do even greater because it will extend throughout the world and not be confined only in time and place to first century Israel. And he says, because this is going to happen because I am going to the Father. And so I am with you in the house of the Lord. I am with you in the church, but I will be with my Father. And as he says then in John 20, what I have done now, I hand over to you. You go and do it, but I'm still going to be with you. And the power that I have as the Son of God will be present in the people of God, in the church, in the saints throughout the world. And this bond will be sealed through the church, through the priesthood, 
by the, by the union of my body and blood with your body and blood in the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.